Well, we have uh, moved some things around in our order of service. We're going to read our Bible passage just now. It's uh, Genesis 19. Uh, Some of this perhaps not just so easy to read when our little ones are in with us. So we're going to read that together now. Genesis chapter 19, it's page 19 on the Pew Bibles. And we remember this is God's Word. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them. And shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do what you like with them, but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, The men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes. And you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur in Sodom and Gomorrah from the house of the Lord, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those those cities and, and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Amen. You might find it helpful to keep that open in front of you. We're going to think about it together today. I don't know if you're the sort of person who, when you're on holidays, likes to explore some of the history of the place that you find yourself in. It's something I find fascinating, and and especially if there's some trace of some ancient civilization to be investigated. And it's quite a thought to consider that down through history, there have been peoples and nations and civilizations that have arisen and have come and, and then have gone. All sorts of reasons why that happens. But when it comes to biblical history, one reason that we might perhaps miss is that there comes a time on a people or a civilization when God sometimes says, enough. And they are taken out of the picture and they are heard from no more uh, except in the pages of history or is as a result of archaeology. And we've, we've seen something of that already as we've been working our way through uh, Genesis. <clears throat> uh, we looked at Genesis 15. We read a verse that I don't think we drew attention to, Genesis 15:16. In the fourth generation, God speaking to Abraham, in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And what God was saying there was that the the Amorites who who lived in Canaan, where Abraham was sort of passing through and and, and, uh, living as a a nomad in, the the Amorites in the land were, were by and large a wicked people, and God would be very patient with them. He would wait 400 years, in fact, but then they would be taken out of the picture. And in this case, the way that they would be taken out of the picture was that they would be conquered by the Israelites who would have been returning from Egypt and would come and settle in Canaan. So God is at work causing nations to rise and to fall, and sometimes that fall is due to their sin and rebellion. And just as John was praying, one wonders if our own Western culture in all of its decadence and rebellion is somewhere on that journey towards replacement, with something else, something you can think about, subject perhaps for another day. But today we come to to two cities, the story of two cities, where, where God was not prepared to wait for 400 years. They're in this general region, but he's not prepared to wait 400 years. Their, their sin is so serious, their rebellion is so significant, that God has called time on their existence. And they would be removed, Sodom and Gomorrah. Without doubt, this is a bleak and a difficult part of the Bible, but it has so many important things to say to us. God is both a God of salvation and of judgment. We need to understand both of those things. And we see both of those things in this chapter, of course. Sodom is judged and Lot is saved. And so that's how we're going to look at it, judgment and salvation. We'll see a few things about judgment first as we sort of work our way through the, the, the story. First of all, we want to say something about <clears throat> the unexpectedness of judgment. The chapter opens 
with two angels who had been, of course, with Abraham along with the Lord in the previous chapter. They arrive at Sodom in the evening, and Lot is sitting at the gate. Now, you might remember that we have looked at what has happened with Lot back in in chapter 13. He and Abraham, uh, their flocks were so numerous that they couldn't, the land couldn't sustain them, and they separate, and Lot chooses to go towards the city of the plain, the cities of the plain. Uh, The land is better there and so on. And uh, we find that, that as he does that, there's this sort of creeping naturalization for Lot. First of all, he moves towards the area. He pitches his tent, the Bible says, towards Sodom. He lives in Sodom, then we find. And then here in this chapter, we find that he's at the city gate. And that's really significant because he is now a man of some influence. The, the city was where the decisions were made. It's a bit like the town hall. And so Lot has become a man of influence in Sodom. And at the same time, we need to take seriously what the New Testament says about Lot in Peter, 2 Peter uh, 2, 7 and 8. Uh, it says, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was dis- distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Sometimes hard to put these two things together. He's a righteous man. I think it just means that he's a believer, but he's distressed by what's happening around him, but he's still there. So it seems that he's a believer who at the same time is thoroughly compromised and conflicted. He's a mess. Well, he he welcomes the visitors. He he brings them to his home. Uh, He invites them to their home. They they announce that they're going to stay in the city square, but but, uh, Lot insists strongly. Uh, He twists their arms, and and they come to his home because he, he obviously knows what would happen to them if they were to be in the square during the night. So the angels are in the home of, the lot, of lot, but as verse 13 says, they are there to destroy that city. Verse 13, we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Now you think about, about what this is like for the people of Sodom. It is their last day. Day began as a normal day for the people who lived there. Food was cooked, meals were eaten, jobs were done, trade took place. It was life as usual, but it was their last days. In a matter of hours, fire would fall and this city would be consumed and nothing would even grow there again for for years. It was as it was with, with Genesis 6 and the flood. Things were going on as normal, and then it began to rain. Jesus drew attention to that. He said, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. There's normality, and then there is catastrophe. And the judgment comes unexpectedly, and, and Jesus used that to say it will be like that whenever he returns, because this story of Sodom is used to point forward to the final judgment and coming of the Lord. There will be a day in our history which will start off normally, and on that day, not just a city will end, but history will end. This world is not going to last forever. And one day the clock will run down and judgment will come. And that's not easy for us to think about. It's not easy for us to 
to, to, to have categories for. But the, point, the story of Sodom points us in that way, the unexpectedness of judgment. Then there's the unacceptability of judgment from those who are in Sodom. We come to this terrible scene where the men of the city come to Lot's door and call for the, the visitors, the angels, to be brought out that they might have sex with them. It's a grim, grim scene. And the text emphasizes that all the men of the city are involved. I, I think we have no comprehension of just how, how far Sodom had, had sunk. All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Now, now in this, we, we see marvelously the, the, the marks of a culture in its flight from God. On the one hand, there is the normalizing of what God forbids. So all the men of the city are involved in this. It just, it just points to the fact that this is indeed a, a place that has overturned any sense of what is right. There are other places that, in the Bible that refer to, to Sodom and refer to its, its lack of hospitality and its, its lack of justice and so on. Those things had just become normal. Here is a city too where, where homosexuality is normal, where rape is normal, where violence is normal. This is just the way it is. This is what happens in Sodom. And this is the mark, you see, of a culture that is on the run from God. If we'd been talking about this 10 or 20 years ago, we might have talked about the normalization of homosexuality in our culture. But that discussion's almost past, isn't it? It's almost unquestioned now. Now it's the normalization of transgenderism, of, of the, the blurring of the fact that God has made us made and male and female. I, I don't know if you noticed that last night there was a show on ITV called Queens for a Night. At half past eight, celebrities were transformed into drag queens and judged on how well they did. It's just normalizing the mantra that you can be who you want to be. There's no such thing as male and female, as God said. And so you want to ask the question, well, what will be on at half past eight in another 20 years? The normalizing of what God forbids. And at the same time, there is a cry that this must be affirmed. You see what happens? Lot goes out to the crowd. He shuts the door behind him. It's a courageous move. He pleads with them, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And his courage here is twofold, isn't it? On the one hand, he, he courageously puts himself between the crowd and the angels. And on the other hand, he, he calls what they are doing a wicked thing. That's hard, isn't it? Some of you are going to go into workplaces tomorrow where if you called wicked what God calls wicked, you would not be employed there by the weekend. And then Lot fails miserably and offers his daughter instead. It's, it's, it's his daughters. It's a terrible thing. Some people have suggested that because they are betrothed, it, it would have dreadful consequences even in Sodom if they were to be harmed. And so he's sort of trying to somehow make the, 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 the crowd see sense. I think that's stretching it a little. He, he's failing terribly here. But, but here's the point. Look at what the the crowd say. Verse 9, get out of our way, they replied. 
This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. There's the cry of our culture, isn't it? Who do you think you are to tell us what to do? What gives you the right? What gives you the right to make moral judgments on us? What gives you the right to say that? What gives you the right? See, in the Garden of Eden, we know that the serpent whispered that there would be no judgment and that we would be accountable to no one. And now that that lie is deeply enmeshed in the human heart and, and very strongly expressed within our culture. So that when someone suggests otherwise that we are accountable, that there is a judgment, there is just outrage. I think if you want to find a way to, to help us just understand the moral revolution that we're going through at the moment, uh, this little quote from Rosaria Butterfield is super helpful. Uh, I, I heard her, I, I think she maybe was quoting somebody else. I'm not sure it originated it with her, but she's the one that I remember saying it. Uh, she said, what was once celebrated is despised. Whenever you're thinking about the, sort of the, the moral changes that there are within the lifetimes of many of us, what was once celebrated is despised. What was once despised is celebrated. And then here's the thing. And those who refuse to celebrate are despised. And some of you know this in your, your workplaces, in your circles. It's not just that, that the culture wants its sin to be tolerated. It demands that it be affirmed and celebrated. What gives you the right? the unacceptability of judgment. And then there's the denial of judgment as well. Just in a word, uh, when the angels pull Lot back into the house and they send blindness on the crowd, uh, the crowd still search for the door, such as their dedication. And the angels reveal that Sodom is scheduled for destruction. They urge Lot to get his wider family together and they, he goes to these future sons-in-law in verse 14, he says, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. You see, they've just completely swallowed the lie that there is no judgment. Or at least that the idea is so far off and theoretical and not relevant to them today that it has no bearing upon their lives. The possibility that they would this very day stand before a God who would demand an accounting from them was just nonsense. And again, this is the world we live in, isn't it? It could never happen. Or it's so far off that I'll think about it some other time. So, judgment. Although it is unexpected, it is certain. It is treated as unacceptable and irrelevant. This is bang up to date, isn't it? But here's a chapter two with salvation. And we see just a little about this, really. Lot is, is paralyzed in what is happening. Verse 19, he lingers and, and the, the angels sort of grab him and his wife and his daughters and they flee the city. He's a, he's a pitiful figure. He decides he cannot go to the mountains. 
and he is, as he is told to, but he pleads to go to Zoar. Zoar is a name that means little. It's, it's probably really no different than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a little Sodom. And, and, and therefore, he, he, he just can't imagine a, a life apart from the comforts of the city and the influence of the city. And yet the angels allow him to do this. And one writer says about Lot, even brimstone cannot make a pilgrim of him. Even brimstone cannot make a pilgrim of him. If you read on, you know that the chapter ends dreadfully. His, his whole life is just a, an absolute mess. He's so mixed up. But nevertheless, he is saved. He, he may be saved by the skin of the teeth, but he is nevertheless saved. And if we're to ask why, well, verse 29 tells us, so when, Lot so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Why is Lot saved? Well, in one way, he's saved because of Abraham. Abraham had prayed for him, of course. That should encourage us whenever we think about lifting others before the Lord. Lot is a bit of a mess, but he is a, a saved mess. We might settle for that for some of those we were praying for, wouldn't we? We might settle for that for ourselves. Ultimately, the only way, of course, that, that we can be saved is because of another, not just another's prayers, but another's intervention, because none of us are rescued for our own sake. If we're Christians here today, we're ultimately here for the sake of Jesus. We are rescued because of Christ. It's not a, a full story of salvation, however. Lot's wife looks back. Probably means she lingers. She, she, she waits and stands in the plains and, and is overcome perhaps by the conflagration. It, it seems that her heart really was in Sodom after all. So it's a tragic chapter, isn't it? It's a, it's a solemn chapter. It begins with Lot sitting in the gate in the evening. I suppose the evening's activities were, were gathering. The traders were shutting up their shops. The nightlife was getting into gear. And Lot was maybe sitting there and thinking, how, how, did, how did I end up here? And yet he and none of the people had any idea what was coming. And it ends with Abraham looking at the smoke going up from the ruins of the city. Maybe just 12 hours. And there were plans not fulfilled. There were appointments not kept. And so it will be when God eventually wraps up this world and comes to judge. And friends, only Christ saves the Bible uses this story in, in, in a number of ways, too many for us to go into today. But, but I want to draw attention to one way in which Jesus uses it, because it would be easy for us to say, oh, well, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, an exceptional case, and in so many ways it is. But, but exceptional sin, and, and, and yes, and yet no. Matthew chapter 11. I want to read a few verses as Jesus is speaking. Jesus began to denounce the cities. So this is Matthew 11, verse 20. 
Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that there will be a a great gathering at a final judgment. Those from Sodom and Gomorrah and from everywhere will stand before the Lord. And, And ominously, Jesus says that there will be those who will fare worse than those men who tried to beat down the door that day in Sodom. And what is their sin? Well, it wasn't homosexuality. It wasn't rape. It wasn't any of those things that we've been reading about. According to Jesus, it seems to be worse. It was rejecting him in the face of compelling evidence. Jesus had been in these cities and villages, Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, performed miracles there, taught there. The evidence for who he was 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 all around those people. And, And the logic of what Jesus is saying here is that it would have been better to have been in Sodom than to have heard Jesus and seen his miracles and said, that's not for me. What a thought. We all need to think long and hard about those words, don't we? Maybe there are some of us here or or listening, and, and we have had compelling evidence. Transformed lives around us. The opportunities to read the Bible for ourselves, to hear it explained. Maybe even a sense of, of God speaking to us. And yet we've said, that's not for me. From what the Scriptures seem to be saying, that's a a really, really big thing. We must not treat this lightly. And we must not think that for for me, there'll, there'll be an exception. God is a God of both salvation and judgment. And and Sodom and Gomorrah, this story tells us that he takes sin seriously. It means he takes our sin seriously. And we, if we are to be saved, we need an advocate. We need one who will intercede for us. One who will stand for us. And there is such a one. And it is this Lord Jesus. He is our only hope. He is the one who saves.